listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. We are going to be in uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. This is the birth of Jesus, so I just want to start by saying Merry Christmas. Um, <laughs> seems appropriate. Um, and this is, this is a text that's, that's familiar, and so with that comes, uh, comes some challenges, but also with this comes an opportunity for us to, to be reminded Right? And so I pray that that happens this morning, that we are reminded um, of just the, the significance of and the amazing fact that God sent His one and only Son to this earth to, to pay our sin debts um, so that we may be reconciled back to, to our gods. And one thing you're going to notice this morning um, is that um, Luke uh, gives a very plain um, matter-of-fact presentation um, on the birth of Jesus, All right? But it's loaded with significance, um, but remembering that, that Luke um, was a physician, um, and he's writing a detailed and an orderly account uh, for Theophilus, um, and so we shouldn't be super, super surprised that it's kind of just kind of boom, but a boom, but a boom, but a boom, but a boom, and that's kind of what Luke does, but there are so many things um, in there for us, and so by God's grace... It's my prayer that we would be encouraged this morning, we'd be challenged this morning, um, and that we would have joy uh, this morning. Um, so um, if you would please stand, if you're will, able, um, I want to read for us Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, um, and then I will pray for us, and then we will, uh, we will have fun uh, this morning. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with childs. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord's. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning this child's. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her hearts. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. At the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you give us now to spend time in your words. Lord, this is truly a gift and a blessing that you have given your people, given your church, and that is your word. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us minds to understand and hearts to be moved by our time here this morning. Lord, that we would behold the wondrous mystery, as we've already sang, about the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that this is be something that we don't just think about um, when we're in Luke or around Christmas time, but we would behold this every day of our lives. Lord, I pray that your word would do a work in our lives this morning, that we would be in tune with the Holy Spirit, that we would respond as you would have us respond. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So we're going to tackle this in two chunks, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 8 through 21. And there is a lot of information here. There's a lot of things um, to try to uh, digest. And so I'm not going to hit everything. I'm going to kind of hit some of these bigger ideas um, in this passage. Um, But let's just start with those first seven seven verses, the, the, the birth of Jesus. And what we see in those first three verses right, is this historical setting, right? If you, if you go back to the, uh, the earlier in Luke, he said that he's followed all things closely for some time, and he's writing an unorderly account. And what he does here in those first few verses is just give us some history, right? He names names. He talks about Caesar Augustus. He talks about Quirinius, who was the governor or who was an administrator, a leader in, in Syria, But both of those men, Caesar Augustus and and Quirinius, were gifted in administration. Not surprising as they're rolling out this, let's register everybody. But Caesar Augustus was known for his his reign of peace. And that is significant. And Quirinius, he was a man who he conducted several um, of these uh, censuses, if you will, or these these registrations, and this was likely his first uh, of many. But the idea was that all the world should be registered or all the world should be taxed. Now, don't think of all the world as the entire globe. Think of all the world as in the Roman Empire, because from the Roman perspective, that was all the worlds, Um, Rome and the Roman Empire. But this registration was for tax purposes, all right? This was to um, make, uh, to bolster the tax revenue uh, for the empire, to make sure that every person who should be taxed is indeed being taxed, right? So there's the motive of Caesar Augustus and Quirinius. Now, this would have been not shocking, right? Very controversial to the Jewish people. Um, so Rome 
um, was trying to think about, okay, what's the, what's the least offensive way, what's the most palatable way that we can roll out this new tax program? And so they decide, right, hey, let's have all of the people go back to their hometown, their ancestral hometown, because Jewish people are very, right, they focus a lot on genealogy, and it's important to them, so if they have to go back to their hometown, that might, uh, that might buy us a little bit of grace from the people, and let's see what happens. We'll read in verse 4 um, that Joseph obeyed um, this command that came down from Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, and Joseph makes this 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and he made this journey with Mary, his wife, um, his very pregnant wife. But you see, just in the way that Luke writes this, there's a very strong connection to, to David's and the Davidic covenant. Although he doesn't mention it specifically, he was from the house and the line of, of David's. And so Luke is putting us on notice that there's something special that's happening here. And he doesn't mention this, but it should make us think back to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days." God is going to raise up a great king, and this king is going to emerge from the town of Bethlehem, and this king is going to rule and reign. And then we read in verses 6 and 7, just this kind of very humble, unassuming birth of a baby boy. There's no drama here for Luke. He just states the facts. He doesn't talk about them searching for lodging in the town of Bethlehem. He doesn't talk about the interaction that they had with the innkeeper. All we know is that Bethlehem wasn't a large town. And when Mary and Joseph did arrive there, there was no place for them to stay. And so it's a very simple account, a very humble account of a birth of Jesus. And, and it's really ironic, right, considering it's the birth of Jesus, right? But Luke writes in just a very plain way, but he draws attention to the fact that this was the firstborn of, of Joseph and Mary. And with that firstborn would have meant that Jesus would have had rights to the benefits of, of the inheritance of that family, but we know that it goes so much bigger than that. It's so much grander and so much greater than that. And Luke is making a point here that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah from the line of David who fulfills the Davidic covenant. But he does it in a very simple, humble, unassuming way. But what I want us to think about this morning is, is number one, just the, the faithfulness of God, right? How he, God always fulfills his promises, right? And so we read these first seven verses, and we see how God is faithfully fulfilling his words to Mary. 
He, remember, he, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And so, so in Mary's world, right, God is fulfilling those words that she heard about nine months prior. But he's doing something much greater than that. Right? It's this plan of redemption. It's his, God's plan of salvation. Right? And you can skip ahead to Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 38, and you can read the genealogy that Luke presents for us for Jesus. And we read in that genealogy that, there's, that David is part of that genealogy, and there's the Davidic covenant where David's throne, the ruler, would always sit on his throne, and they would rule forever and ever and ever and ever, and that's Jesus. This man Judah is in that genealogy. And you go to Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. And when he's being blessed by his father, his father says, the scepter will never pass from your hands. It's Jesus. Abraham is in that genealogy. And Abraham would be the father of many nations. And through Abraham, many nations and many peoples would be blessed. And that is, that's, that's Jesus. So God is fulfilling and being faithful and fulfilling His word to Mary, but He's being faithful and fulfilling His promise to bring redemption and salvation to the worlds. Have you ever stopped and thought about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God in this? I want to define terms because we're going to linger here for a few minutes. I want to define terms for you. Number one, when we think of the sovereignty of God, right, it's God's right as the creator to, and the power that he has to do all that he wants to with his creation. That's his sovereignty. That's a very big idea, right, that as creator and his omniscience and his omnipotence and who he is, he has the right to do whatever he wants with his creation. Big picture stuff. The providence of God is, is almost like, it's almost like you're taking this 30,000 foot view and then we kind of drop to maybe 25,000 feet, maybe 20. Right? Because the providence of God is how God acts within his creation. How he sustains it, how he governs it, or how like God sees to his creation. Right? He, he's actively and intimately involved with his creation. He upholds it, he directs it, he governs it, the actions and the things that happen, the things that he allows, the things that he stops, right? All to fulfill his purposes. So we read passages like Isaiah 46, verses 9, last part of verse 9 through 11, which says, For I am God's, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient of times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will do it. Okay, that's the providence of, of God. Okay, I want to read for you 
two things. This is out of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Like, there's a reason why things like this, the Westminster Confession, we do the Apostles' Creed, they're helpful for us because it takes these big ideas and tries to condense them down. So I have two things to read for you this morning out of the Westminster Confession, which I think will might help think through providence. This is chapter 5 out of the Westminster Confession of Faith of Providence. God is the creator of all things. God, excuse me, the creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will to the praise of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. That's, that's our God's. So the Westminster Confession is taking all these verses that speak about the providence of God and tries to distill it down. And then we can, leave part of, we can read part of the larger, cat, larger catechism. This is question 18. What are God's works of providence? Answer, God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures, ordering them and all their actions to His own glory. We have to think about the sovereignty of God and the, 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 the providence of God. And so when we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, right, here's a question. How did our sovereign God providentially accomplish His will? Here's what he did, as far as I can understand it. He used, God used, a purely financial and political decision by Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, two pagan, unbelieving kings, to get Mary and Joseph back to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem to fulfill what God promised 400 years earlier in Micah 5.2. That's what our God did. And listen, God controls kings, right? Daniel 2.21 says that He removes kings and He sets up kings, right? And these two men, right, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius were gifted how? administratively, right? So if there were two guys that could put together this census and this registration, it was those two guys. And oh, by the way, those were the two guys that God had in power at this time to set the ball in motion for this registration that meant that Joseph and Mary had to get back to Joseph's hometown in Bethlehem, which, oh, by the way, does fulfill that prophecy in Micah 5.2 that was given 400 years earlier so that the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, would be born exactly where God promised at exactly the right time He wanted it. Isn't that amazing? That Caesar Augustus and Quirinius were unknowing agents of God's? 
that they made decisions for their own benefits, for the benefit of the, of the empire, that would have been controversial, by the way, and offensive and caused hardship for the Jewish people. But those decisions that those two men made, God knew about, foreknew, and he used to fulfill his purposes. That's how big our God is. That's how big he is. And you want to know what? He still does that today. He doesn't change. He's immutable. So those large decisions that get made, those seemingly little, insignificant decisions, right? God knows. We have free will. We can make those decisions. He knows what we're going to choose. But we can choose whatever we want to choose. He just knows it. And he uses those to fulfill his purposes. Even when we make decisions that are selfish, he uses them. He wastes nothing. And he will use them to fulfill his plan and to accomplish his purposes. That's how big our God is. That should make you happy. <laughs> that should really make you happy. Not true. It should make you joyful. Happiness is cheap, right? Joy is forever. It should make you joyful. That God uses His sovereignty and His providence to display His faithfulness. Right? That nothing is outside the sovereignty of providence of God. Right? If you think about this, because if, it, if it's true, if something could be outside His sovereignty and providence, so that means He's, he's not God. He doesn't have control over his creation, right? He's accomplishing his purposes for his glory and our good. So therefore, we can trust him. We have peace and we have comfort every day of our lives because of who he is and what he does. It's the first seven verses. But think about that. Right? And then we get to now, we get to the, the shepherds. Right? The, the, the shepherds, the, the shepherds now feature prominently, and, and, and this is, this is kind of weird, right? If, if you're reading this from back, back in that day, it, it's kind of weird because shepherds were kind of culturally, they were outsiders. Um, they, 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 now, they fulfilled a really important function, like they, they raised, they were shepherds, they were sheep, right? And sheep were used in the temple and all that, like, they, so they, they had an important role, but... By a lot of people, they were viewed as insignificant. Um, they were a tad rough around the edges. Could be an ornery bunch. Um, but yet they were, there was a sense that they were just kind of very lowly, right? They just kind of did, did, their, did their job. Um, but they were a people that, that couldn't always keep the Jewish ceremonial laws because of, because of their line of work. And so they were just kind of like shepherds. But yet this is who God appears to. This is who God makes the announcement of the birth of, of, of Jesus, the, the, the Savior and the, the Messiah and the Lord of all. He uses shepherds to confirm his, his faithfulness. 
And so in verses 8 through 14, right, we read about these, these shepherds, right? And, and this is the announcement that the angel makes and the angels make to, to the shepherds. And this is actually the third announcement. If you think about what Luke has written in us so far up to this point, right, the first announcement was to Zechariah. The second announcement was to Mary. This is the third announcement now to this, this band of shepherds. And so Jesus' birth is first told to a group of average, everyday, unassuming people. But what we read is that the angel stands in the presence of the shepherds, and when the angel appears to them, right, they, they, they fear a great fear, literally, right? And there's this bright light. Imagine it's at night, it's dark, and all of a sudden there's this bright light that, that's blinding. You see, you see they're, they're probably blinking multiple times as their eyes adjust, and lo and behold, there's an angel standing in their midst, and the angel tells, says to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Right? I bring you good news. So, so you shepherds, you kind of humble, lowly, fringy kind of people that are just kind of doing your thing, that kind of have a bad rep, but maybe just don't, you're not really respected and you seem insignificant to a lot of people. Uh, this is for you. And it's good news and it's great joy, and it's for, for all people. It's, it's, it's going to start small, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow, and it's going to expand. And we know how the story goes, and we know how much it is going to expand. But the announcement that the angel makes is, is profoundly significant, the reason why this message is good news of great joy is because that the Messiah has been born. The reason why this is a significant announcement is because it's the fulfillment of, of this long-awaited prophecy in the city of David's that the Messiah is born. And it's good news because of the way that the, Jesus is described. There's three massive terms that the angel uses to these, now listen to me, he's telling these not to these well-read, well-learned theologians. He's not telling this to the Pharisees. He's not telling this to the Sadducees, to the scribes. The angel's saying this to common, average, everyday folk. That he is the Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord's. He's the Savior. He, he's, he's the deliverer of his people. Hey, there's going to be physical deliverance here, but more importantly, there's going to be spiritual deliverance. Remember how Zechariah kind of got that flipped? If you remember back to that, right? He is the Savior. He is going to deliver his people. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited Messiah, the long-promised Messiah. He's from the house and line of David's. This is, this is the guy that we've been waiting for. He's God's anointed one. He is the Christ, and he is the Lord's. He's sovereign. He has power. This is what has happened. There's a baby born in Podunk, Bethlehem, and this is who that baby is. He's Savior, he's the Christ, and he's Lord's. Put yourself in the shepherd's sandals for just a moment. 
and the angel gives a sign, right, that you're going to find this baby, right, in this really nice, fancy house with a real glitzy crib, manger, not a manger, like a, like a bassinet. And there's going to be all these gifts around and all these presents around. There's going to be all these really famous, notable people from Bethlehem there admiring this baby boy. No. That's what you'd expect. But no, you're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a feeding trough. But man, that's specific. And then all of a sudden, right, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All of a sudden, as unexpected as the angel appearing in front of them and the blinding light and the words that the angel just spoke, all of a sudden, there is this heavenly host with this angel, they're singing praises to God. Right? It, it, it's heaven putting earth on notice that something significant has happened in the birth of this child. And heaven is praising God for His faithfulness. And an angel appears before the shepherds and gives them some really significant theology. The angel appears before the shepherds and delivers to them the good news of the gospel, the coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it results in joy and heaven singing praises. This baby that has been born is going to save and deliver people. This baby that has been born is the promised Messiah. This baby that has been born is, is sovereign. He actually is, is God in human flesh, the maker of rule and ruler of all. The angels give the good news about the birth of this child, and the angels tell these shepherds, oh, and by the way, this is who this child is. We read in verse 15 that when the angels went away into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to, to us. Okay, now I don't think for a second, right, that there was the chief shepherd guy who gets up in this very kind of booming, kind of James Earl Jones kind of voice, right, and says, let us go over to Bethlehem. Put yourself in the sandals of those shepherds. As you, you just witnessed this, you've just experienced this, and now you're trying to decompress all of this and try to make sense of all of this, and you're having conversations with your shepherd friends. Can you imagine? So fun. But this announcement sets off a, a chain reaction, right? Because the shepherds, right, get their wits about them a little bit, right? And they decide, hey, we, we, need, to, uh, we need to leave our post uh, and we need to, 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 to go find this child, find this baby, 
Um, I, it shouldn't be too hard. Bethlehem's kind of small, and he's going to be in a manger. So I, think, I like our odds, but we should probably go find this child. Because they understood, they clearly understood that God had been in their midst. And this was a message from heaven to them. And so they were compelled to go. And so in verse 16, we read that the shepherds find the child and, and they, they, they see right exactly what the angel said. That the baby was in swaddling claws and, and lying in a manger. And, and, and the truth of that, right, it's, they had to now go share and tell people. And they told them why, why they went and, and tried to find the child, right? Verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, right? Get a load of this, people. This angel appeared, and this is what he said to us. And then there were a whole bunch of them singing. They had to share. So their testimony becomes the angel's testimony, right? But only on earth to, to different people. And, and, and the testimony of the shepherds causes, in verse 18, all who, want, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Right? So these people are trying to like say, say, what? Right? You're a shepherd, but like say that again. They were surprised and they were amazed. It doesn't mean that they believed, right? It doesn't mean that they had faith. But it means that the shepherds were faithful in sharing their experience and hearing what they had heard. And that, that information, what they shared, their testimony, circulated throughout this town of Bethlehem and it caused quite a stir in a very busy but yet small town. But for some of those people... The significance missed their hearts. But then we see in verse 19, Mary's response. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her, her hearts. Mary treasured, and she, she pondered. The, the, the testimony of, of, the, of the shepherds and everything that had happened that night, right, did not miss her heart. She reflected in a way that, that others didn't, right? She didn't, she didn't wonder, right? She, she treasured and she, she pondered. She took the events of the night. She took the words from the shepherds. She took the testimony from the shepherds. And she lodged them deep in her memory, Right? They, they, they were confirmation to Mary that, that, that God is faithful to His words. It cemented things in her heart so that she could draw upon them when she needed to. And she would need to 33 years later when her firstborn is hanging on a cross. So she's treasuring and she's, she's pondering. She's looking over the past nine months and she's, try, she's trying to put it together. 
She's trying to make sense. She, she understands what God is doing. She knows it's from God, but she's trying to connect dots. And we read in verse 20 that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And those shepherds returned to the fields to their sheep changed. They were changed men. Their faith had been strengthened. Maybe their faith in God had been kind of confirmed. But it produced such a sense of joy that they had to go back singing and praising and glorifying God for all that they had seen. And there's a pattern in those last few verses, in verses 17 through 20. And this is, this is not original. This is, I was reading a commentary <laughs> on this, and, and the, this, the commentator made this point, and I found it really, really helpful, especially in light of our the message last week on the Great Commission. Right? He says there's things that the shepherds did. There's, there's things that we see that the shepherds did and that Mary did, and we can learn from them. And it's three words. It's teach, treasure, tell. That in that moment, after the angel departs, the shepherds probably taught one another what they heard. And what they saw. And the shepherds go and see the baby. And it just confirms what they had heard and what they had seen. And Mary treasures up everything in her heart. And the shepherds return home praising God and, and telling others. So when it comes to the beauty of the gospel and Jesus, there's this call for us to teach and to treasure and to tell. And this account ends in verse 21 with the, with the obedience of, of Mary and Joseph. Right? They, they do what every good, faithful Jewish couple is going to do who's been blessed by God with, with the Son they have him circumcised on the eighth day, but they, but they name him Jesus because that's the name that the angel said they were to name him. So there's this obedience that Mary and Joseph have in light of all that they'd experienced and all that, everything that went on around the birth of their son, they stayed faithful to, to God's. Right? It, it's, such a, it's such a simple kind of account but it disguises almost, not, not in a bad way, but it, it should cause us to pause and to think a little bit deeper about what has happened, about the universal significance of what has happened in the birth of this child, Jesus. He's the, he's the Davidic Savior. He, he's, he's the Messiah. He's Lord's. But he's born in, in a room reserved for animals. His crib is a feeding trough. He's born in this small little town of Bethlehem. But it's the beginning of God fulfilling the most important act, and that is salvation for, for people. It's a simple setting. It's, it's simple people, 
but it is so great and so glorious that we see God's faithfulness. It gives us hope. Jesus' birth is, happens right in the middle of Roman history, right in the reign of, of Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria. But Luke doesn't linger there long, does he? He mentions them. If you want to go back and fact check, you can go back and fact check and check out this guy, Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, and you, you, can, you can see that this, you know, they were real men who really lived and who really reigns. But the key figure that Luke zeroes in on is not a powerful Roman Caesar or a governor from Syria, but a small, frail baby boy born in a manger in Bethlehem. And so we, we think about the, this, 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 the birth of Jesus, right, and his, and the, and his, his coming to, the, to this earth, right? And here, here's, here's the challenge for us, right? Because we do that probably every year towards the end of December. If some of you are like really Christmassy people, you probably start like now, right? But, right, you, we, we think about this in December, and we should, think about this in December. But here's, here's the challenge. Think about the time, that moment, not when Christ first came to this earth, but when Christ first came into your life. That moment that God in His grace Gave you the minds and the heart to, to believe and to be moved by the beauty of Jesus and the power of, of His gospel and to believe the good news. That through Jesus, you've been reconciled, you've been redeemed, you've been restored back to a right relationship with God because Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect sinless life in perfect obedience to the Father. He laid down that life on a cross, paying your sin debt, taking upon himself the wrath for that sin, the wrath that you deserve, he took it in perfect obedience to the Father, and he died. But three days later, God raised him from the dead which tells us that God accepted that sacrifice. He's the final sacrifice. He is the one who makes us right with God. He is the long-awaited Messiah who now has been exalted. He sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf and waiting for God to say, go bring my children home. And we, we long for that day, but think back to that first moment when you believed. Treasure that. Ponder that. Rejoice in that. There's rejoicing all through this passage. Rejoice in that. And by all means, 
share it. Share it. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, and as we can marvel and be in awe of his, the, the, his first advent and the events surrounding his birth, Lord, may we be quick to remember the events around our new birth. When you first opened up our hearts and minds to understand and believe the gospel and who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us. Lord, may we treasure, may we ponder, may we rejoice, and may we share in the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit TwinVillagesChurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria. Thank you.